Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. And joining me is my co-host, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and veteran journalist, Stephen Kerr. 65 plus years in sports journalism between the two of us. And this one, we continue looking at Texans free agent targets. We've gone through wide receivers and running backs. Time to look at five defensive tackle targets that the Texans maybe should go after. And Stephen, I'm on the record saying running backs and defensive tackles are the most likely positions for Casario to make a splash signing. Yeah, I'd say you're right. You know, certainly because the running game needs to improve. And yeah, you've got some improvement from the defensive line, but you want to not only keep that intact, but you want to keep it going moving forward. So this is where I think, you know, especially on the defensive line, you know, some of the guys you've got out there, I, I think you might need to step up and overpay a little bit if, if necessary. Not outrageously, but enough to where you're going to get what you need. Is this first guy on my list the biggest overpay that you can do? Well, that's a good question. You almost got to start the conversation with him, Chris Jones, even though he'll be 30 years old. And that's the same guy that we just saw win a Super Bowl. I mean, he's been the anchor now of a three-time champ. He's coming off two all-pro selections, 29 sacks over the last two seasons. And Steven, his only weakness is he's a little mediocre in the run game. This past season, maybe slipping a little bit there. And you know D'Amico, he likes run stuffers. So that's all I can think of as far as why not to get Chris Jones except for the money. Well, yeah, I mean, he was number one on my list, although I kind of backed off just because of the money. But, you know, with a lot of these guys, you know, some of them have a lot of a ton of sacks, but not a lot of uh, solo tackles or vice versa or, you know, not enough forced fumbles. But, you know, you talk about Chris Jones and not only, you know, the on the field stuff with the stats, but, hey, he's been to some Super Bowls. And, you know, having more guys on that team like that, would not be a bad thing. Oh, yeah. Winning matters and bringing that sort of championship pedigree to the Texans locker room as you're trying to do this would be a big deal. And I mean, can you imagine if they were able to afford him and Grenard with Will Anderson? I mean, that defensive line would immediately vault into maybe the best defensive line in the NFL right there. Yeah, I mean, that that is a wonderful fantasy, Robert. And I'd, I'd be right with you on that. I, I don't think that's going to happen. But hey, we can dream, right? Yeah, and you talk about dreaming, the number two guy on the list. Again, this is a big name, Justin Matabike, number two on my defensive tackle board. The fact he's only 26 years old might mean he'll be the most expensive, you know, potentially, maybe more expensive than even Chris Jones. He's jumped from eight and a half sacks his first three seasons total to 13 this year. He's had this steady growth straight into a massive breakout season. And Steven, he's from Dallas, played at College Station, so, that, so maybe there's the potential draw for him with Texas and also if you get Jones or Matabike, what else happens? You also weaken a major AFC contender too. Well, there you go. And, and you know, there's something to be said for that. So <laughs> he was he was definitely in the top three in my list. So that, that's another guy the Texans could certainly eye. But yeah, anytime you can steal a division foes player, I'm all for it. Yeah, the next guy on my list, again, I'm I'm just picking the top of the heap here because, yeah. and I'll explain why in a second, but the, the, the next guy is Christian Wilkins with the Dolphins. Not a splashy yeah. pass rusher like the other two, but Wilkins an elite run defender, 28 years old, just five NFL seasons. So not much wear and tear, not sexy, not as sexy, at least as the top two, Stephen, but maybe slightly more attainable for salary cap purposes. Yeah, that's very true. And, you know, as far as like, you know, his solo tackles, I think he was uh, ninth. He had 39 of those and assists. He had 12. And, you know, the sack total, I mean, I look at that, Robert, because it's pretty important. He has 10 sacks. He was tied for fifth in the league in that category. So he definitely brings some things to the table. I think I had him number three on my list, kind of where the, I've been kind of going with the order, you know, that 
some of the sites I've been looking at, like PFF and some of the others, they, they kind of match what I think would fit the Texans. Yeah, the next guy. And, uh, you know, like I said, this is I'm, I'm not I'm not breaking any major thing of th- this guy is, you know, the Texans are eyeing him or angling for him. I'm just saying, like, if, if you want to really do something with the defensive line, this is where it all starts. And Leonard Williams with the Seahawks will be 30 to start next season. Yep. But the numbers don't suggest a drop off. In fact, his pressure rate, the best of his nine year career this past year, all four guys I've listed, Stephen, are top 20 ranked among all free agents, not just defensive tackles. They're all free agents in, in the top 20 that are available this offseason. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you look at the numbers and, uh, you know, he's got six sacks and assists. He's got guy 18. And so his numbers are his numbers are pretty comparable. So uh, he's definitely in my top five. The last name that I have, no stranger to Texan fans, DJ <laughs> Reader. There's a pretty wow. major drop off in defensive tackle talent, like I said, after Reader. Sheldon Rankins is high in that next grouping. So you kind of know where Rankins is. He's a middle of the pack kind of middle tackle guy. But, you know, the thing about Reader is he's going to be coming off a torn quadriceps. Yeah. That's the major red flag. Yeah. Now, will he come back to Houston? That's another question mark. Well, whenever I spoke to him in the locker room, back when he was with the Texans, I got the impression he was pretty happy here. He left in 2019, Stephen, so he really didn't have to live through the horrible <laughs> Easterby years. He, he escaped the losing is what he did. Well, I'm sure maybe he'd really love to come back because they're winning again. So, you know, if he dodged that bullet, <laughs> then perhaps, you know, I, I always liked DJ Reader, but yeah, coming off the injury, again, you just never know with these guys. Yeah. And the point that I'm making is because he skipped, skipped the Easterby years, he doesn't have that sort of bad memory of the Texans that maybe some of the other guys that were around right. here the last few years would have. And then the other part about it is JJ Watt loved him as a teammate, was very vocal about that, as I recall. Yeah. Well, when JJ Watt likes you, then because, you know, he doesn't pay compliments just to pay them. When he says something complimentary about one of his teammates, you know, you can take him at his word. Was there another guy on your list or was that your five? No, that really was my five, Robert. I just, I didn't see a whole lot of others that, that jumped out at me. And of course, I know we've talked to this before, but you know, as far as making Jonathan Grenard a priority, the Texans certainly, I, I still think that they need to consider that as much as anyone else. Yeah, I, I, I see this as independent of Grenard. I just, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Aside from that. Yeah. You got to make that the priority. We talked about that before, but that's got to be, um, you know, I just feel like he's young. You know, he fits in. And unless there's something that they just don't like about him personally or professionally or something, unless that's yeah. the case, you, you just figure it. You want to keep your own guy. It says something to the rest of the organization, everybody in it, the other teammates that like, hey, if you do succeed here, we want to try to keep you. And that breeds loyalty. It breeds loyalty. And, you know, that sort of thing gets around when you start talking about free agents, you know, trying to recruit them to come here. You know, that's a big deal for these players. And I think, you know, winning obviously is the ultimate and sometimes loyalty pays the price for that. Well, Jonathan Grenard had a good year. Now, you know, the big question is, can he sustain that? One year does not make a star player, not in my mind anyway. But you at least got to hope that it does. And it keeps the momentum going. Hopefully it keeps the winning going for the Texans. He knows the system. He developed. It took him you know, over several years for him to develop. But maybe he's finally coming into his own. And if that's the case, then you know, if you're the Texans, you certainly want to keep him. The thing about the defensive tackle position is really that's the best way to make the major upgrade by getting one of those five guys. And as I said, really the rest of the defensive tackles that are out there is basically like having a Sheldon Rankins again or bringing Sheldon Rankins back, of course, if they choose to do that. But unless you're going to find a guy like that in the draft and the likelihood is even if you find a pretty good guy in the draft, it's going to take them a year or two to be up to speed. So if you really want to make the jump 
in that part of the team, then that's where you can make it. For that particular position, Robert, I think it's more important to do that in the free agent market and not in the draft. Because as you said, having to develop them, I mean, this is something the Texans, they need to shore it up now. They can't wait, you know, two or three years for a guy to develop. They need to do it now. And I guess you could say that about every position, but especially, you know, a defensive tackle. This is where you really need to make an upgrade. And that's going to come in the free agent market with one of these, one of these guys that we're just talking about. Do you guys out there that are watching and listening, do you agree, disagree with us? Let us know in the comments. Make sure to subscribe and get notifications if you haven't done it already. And Stephen, I know you've got some Astros thoughts on your mind, but Texans fans, don't forget to check out our Andre Johnson tribute that's coming up with stories from his Texans teammates. So don't go anywhere. In other words, don't stop it. If you're playing it right now, it's like, oh, they're stopping Texans. That's all I wanted to hear about. No, we got more. Just hang on for a second. We're going to have a little tribute that you're going to want to watch and listen to. Before we get to it, though, Stephen, kind of fitting that pitchers and catchers report Valentine's Day because you've had that Astros love affair for decades. Oh, have I ever. (laughs) Since 1972, Robert, we've, yeah, I've been married to the Astros. So what is that, 52 years? (laughs) Hey, we celebrated the golden anniversary a couple of years ago. I missed it. Yeah, very fitting. And it just is amazing, Robert, that we were doing Astros post games like several months ago, I think up into early November, right? Or late October, because I didn't get to the World Series. Man, that seems like it was just, yeah, I don't know, a month ago. And yet we've been through the Texans the rest of the Texans season. We've been through the first half of the Rocket season. And there's been some turnarounds there. So you hope that the Astros, you know, they don't need to turn things around, but they need to keep things going forward. And by golly, they need to snatch that title back from Dallas. That's what they need to do. So maybe this will happen this year. So I'm I just I always get excited when spring training is coming, Robert. Because as you know, baseball is my favorite sport. So this is something. I'm really looking forward to starting tomorrow. Yeah, the Astros, uh, 52 years you're with the Astros. They were commitment-phobe. They didn't want to put a ring on it until 2017, apparently. Yeah, they, they needed to see results, and it just took so darn long to get the results that, you know, <laughs> it's just, hey, whatever works, right? Yeah, well, what's on your mind with the Astros as they go into camp? What are you thinking about? You know, Robert, the biggest thing I'm thinking about, I mean, yes, they, there are a lot of storylines that you're going to see, but... I think the biggest thing that has really got me thinking about this coming season is the guys who need to bounce back from last year or even the last couple of years. And I've got three guys, Robert, and one of them may surprise you, may not, but there are three guys that I think it's it's crucial that they have a bounce back year. And in some cases, if they don't, or if the, you know, the season starts in the first couple months and they don't get it together, they may not even be with the Astros that much longer. And the first guy on my list is Jake Myers. And yeah, we've, we've talked about him a lot you know, waiting for him to get it together. He's being projected as the everyday center fielder. Dana Brown's been hinting at it. Whether Joe Espada, you know, he's pretty much come out and said, yeah, we're going to give him a shot to do that. Well, if he's going to sustain it, Robert, he needs to do much better in the hitting department. You know, last year, his slash line was 227, 296, 382. That's not going to cut it. And that's in 341 plate appearances. That's that's enough, but that's not going to cut it if you're going to be the everyday center fielder. Before you go further with Jake, he's bouncing Back to what? Because what has he ever bounced for? He had a couple of good weeks before the injury in the playoffs against the Whites. I don't know if he really was ever supposed to be anything. Well, he wasn't supposed to, but I think when we saw him, it was, you know, it was over, what, a month or so that he had that stretch. And we, we kind of thought, well, maybe this is, you know, he's, he's going to come into his own. And he had the injury. But I, I just think this is a, a big year for him in order to get it together. Or he's, he's going to go back either to, the, you know, he's going to go somewhere else because they can't sit around and wait for him to keep developing. Yeah. I I don't know if I'm worried about him because I think there's another guy on his heels 
named Jacob Melton that's coming on fat that Dana Brown has mentioned. And I keep mentioning him because I really feel like he's a multi-tooled center fielder that could be the guy of the future. And it is the reason why they felt like they could give away a couple of outfielders in the Justin Verlander trade. They felt like there was some depth at that position. Yeah. And, and he's got a guy that I want to really see in spring training. And, you know, I think we, we could even do a segment on the next podcast or one, you know, down the line before spring training is over. You know, some of the prospects that we'd be interested in that are being invited to spring training and Jacob Melton's one of them. I mean, he's got the left-handed bat that the Astros want. He can play center field. You know, I'm just anxious to see, can he hit at the major league level? Well, you're not necessarily going to find that out in spring training, but if he has a good spring, you know, Joe Spahn is going to have some tough decisions to make when it comes to cutting time. Who, who are your other two uh, bounce back players? Well, I think this one is obvious because we talked about him agnosium last year and that's Jose Abreu. And, you know, he got off to, he did basically slumped most of the season. How much of it was the back injury? Well, we don't really know, but he certainly turned it on toward the end of the year. He did help you in the postseason. He hit 295 and had four homers. You know, this is the year, Robert, that he needs to live up to the contract and put a full season together. And I think one thing that will benefit him, and he may not like this, but if it's for the good of the team, you got to do it. And that's have more off days. And Joe Espada's got the options to do that. You know, you can put Victor Caratini at first base, give him a day off. You can put Yonder Diaz at first base, give him a day off. I don't know that I want him to put John Singleton at first base until I see more, you know, better results from John, but he does have some options to do that. And I think if he does, you know, I, I'm not saying that Abreu is going to have a banner year like what he had a few years ago, but I certainly believe he's going to have a better one overall than last year. Well, yeah, just show up the first two months. How about that? He, need, he doesn't need to have a bounce back year. He needs to have a bounce back April and May. Ba bounce back half season. Yeah, that's it. So yeah, he's, he's the second guy that I think it's just really important that he have a good year in order for the Astros to get that uh, World Series title back. Yeah, you still haven't come to two guys that I'm wanting to have bounce back years yet. You haven't come to them yet for me. Well, I only picked three. I mean, we could have done five, I guess, but I did the three off the top of my head. So, you know, there are, there are other guys certainly that we can mention, Jeremy Pena being one of them. I want to see Jeremy's hitting improve. You know, and from what I understand, he's been doing some hitting during the offseason, just working on you know, tweaking the swing. Of course, you know, a lot of players do that in the offseason, but that has to materialize in spring training. But yeah, we've, we've got to see the Jeremy Pena in the 2022 postseason and toward the end of the season than what we saw last year. Well, the guys that I need to see the bounce back to me, it's, it's, th this is more important than just having a bounce back season to help the Astros. This is, can the Astros win a championship this year? Because they need these two guys to show up this year from day one to the last day. We had a pretty good fromber for the first half of the season. And then he falls yeah. off the map and he was not what we needed in the playoffs a couple of times when we needed him there. And then Christian Javier, who just, had a terrible season, which, you know, both of those guys, I, I I continue to rail against the World Baseball Classic, which you don't have to deal with this year. And hopefully they get a, they get a good offseason of rest. They've hopefully not done much with their arm. Frankly, I hope they haven't worked out their arms much at all over the last two months because they just needed rest, I felt like. Yeah. They looked, they looked like they had tired arms. The World Baseball Classic is a great thing. I just don't like where it is right before your season, especially you're talking your pitchers. They are such creatures of routine. You know, to break them off like that, I just feel like there's a better time of year to do this. And I don't know, you know, with pitchers, I don't know if there really is a good time to do that. But I really think that's what you saw with these guys, especially Christian Javier. Framer Valdez is a bit more complicated because so much of his game is emotional. And if he could just take a of the emotions out of it to some extent and just let his talent roll, then I think he would be a more consistent pitcher. But I think you're right. I think both arms were tired especially in the case of Christian Javier, because he has great stuff. And, you know, he showed us that the year before. But I really think those guys can come in, be fresh. And, you know, if some of the other guys can come through and 
you know, like Hunter Brown, JP France, if those guys can be more consistent throughout the season, then you can, you'll have some rested arms. You've, you've got some options. Then you have Lance McCullers coming back, Luis Garcia. So you've got some things that maybe some of these guys won't be burned out by the end of the season, provided of course, that you don't have the injury bug to your pitching staff that you did last year. I just feel like it's those two pitchers, those two starters, they really make everything go for this team because if they're on, they get you deep into games. It's less wear and tear on your bullpen. Um, you, you know that Jose Arquiti is not that type of guy that's going to, I mean, I just don't, we, we've seen plenty of Jose Arquiti at this point. He's okay. He's an okay guy to have. He's an arm to have around. We don't know what Hunter Brown is at his best. So I'm not saying we need something great from Hunter Brown because I don't know what we can get from Hunter Brown. It would be great if he got that, Next level where you thought, okay, that Verlander windup is looking like Verlander on the mound. That would be fantastic. But I, I can't expect that from him. I can't expect any more than we got from JP France last year. But I know what Christian Javier and Fromber can do at their best. And I know that if they're on, it changes this entire potential of Absolutely. the Astros. Absolutely. And yeah, there are so many unknowns. And, you know, with Hunter Brown, you know, the, the flashes that he showed in 2022, can he do it over a full season? You know, that that's a big question. You know, J.P. France is an older, quote-unquote, rookie. But, you know, is, is he really the kind of pitcher that can develop into, you know, say a four or five starter or even a three and, you know, go through the whole season doing that? Yeah, there are just so many unknowns. And that obviously, Robert, is going to play a big part of what the Astros pitching is going to do this year and how your bullpen is going to do this year, too. Yeah, and just, you know, we, we talked about Jacob Melton, but that's this is the fun part in the next few weeks we're going to see which one of these minor league guys might be able to surprise somebody, make a name for themselves, whatever, or, you know, who, who's just not ready for prime time yet. Pedro Leon's a name that we've just heard for years. And Dana Brown's like, I, I want to give this guy a chance. And he, you know, he might be able to do something. And Dana Brown's showing some confidence in the guy. We'll, we'll see. We'll see if Pedro Leon can give you anything. Yeah. You know, he, we've talked about him a lot, but the, the, the problem with him, you know, you keep waiting for him to kind of break out into his consistency, I think has been a question mark. And, yeah, the spring training, Robert, one of the things I love about it, too, is you wonder, who is that surprise guy that's going to step up? Just like in football, you know, in preseason, we talk about that. You know, who among the Texans is going to be the, the guy that you thought, wow, I never even, his name never even crossed my mind. Last year, it was Justin Durden, but he didn't make the team. I mean, he put, you know, he hit like blazes, but he he didn't make the squad. So it's always interesting to see who's going to step up and who's actually going to make the team. And it's going to, you know, you're not going to see a lot of faces because the Astros most of their positions are, are pretty well set. So it's not like you got a whole crop of guys that are at least going to start the season on the club. Well, but, coming off the World Series, though, last year, remember, you had no room if you were trying no. to get into the Astros' bullpen. Now that's a fight to get into the Astros' back end of the bullpen. Yeah, the bullpen, certainly. But, you know, as far as the position players, not so much. But, yeah, that's the thing is I think you're at least going to see one guy that's going to step up and do that. And whether that's Jacob Melton, Zach Asenzo, Will Wagner, one of those guys remains to be seen. But you talk about the bullpen, you know, Forrest Whitley, this is a big year for him, too. We've been waiting for him to come into his own. And between injuries, you know, drug suspensions, ineffectiveness, he just hasn't done it. And I think, you know, what the Astros are tabbing him for now is something like a middle relief role that he can be in the bullpen. Well, can he adapt to that? You know, that's the big question. And he's, he's going to have to prove that in spring training. That's that's not a big sample size. But if he can be effective in the bullpen, then he can allow his power stuff to really roll and he won't have to have the pressure of being a starter. Yeah. I just, what's that book? Uh, it was a Charles Dickens that did great expectations. Is yeah. That the name of it? Great expectations. And we've had those great expectations for Forrest Whitley for 
what, five years now? Well, I was about to say it's gone from the Charles Dickens version to basically the last couple of years, it's no expectations. He's like, if I'm walking along the side of the street and it's like, oh my God, wait a second, there's a hundred dollar bill. I just found it for nothing. Wow. That's what <laughs> I get if I get yeah. a Forrest Whitley this year. Well, that's about right. And that's, that's why, I mean, this is the year he has to, and you know, they gave him an extra year because of the injury. He would have been out of options after last season, but he's got another year to prove it. But after this, Robert, I, I don't think we'll be talking about Forrest Whitley anymore if he doesn't cut it. We got some more Astros to talk about as we head towards the season. But right now, we want to close things out with this. Congratulations, first of all, to Andre Johnson. He is the first Texans drafted player headed to the Hall of Fame. In the last decade of our show, we've talked to his teammates and the guys lucky enough to cover him. Last week, I posted this tribute on YouTube. But in case you missed it, you're about to get stories from Glover Quinn, J.J. Moses, Travis Johnson, Sage Rosenfels, Case Keenum, the reporter who made his Hall of Fame case to the committee, John McClain, and Texans voice, Mark Vandermeer. And for those listening, it'll be in exactly that order. So just keep that in mind as you're listening to it. If you have friends who are Texans fans, you can send them the link to this by itself, which I'm going to post. You'll see it at the end of this video as a suggested link. Look for it there. But without further ado, little tribute to Andre Johnson. You know, I was on the same team with Dre, and it took me probably a month to even speak to Dre because I felt <laughs> like I couldn't even speak to him. Like, man, I can't say anything to Dre right now. Um, me and my roommate, we used to come back to the room every day and be like, bro, did you speak to Dre today? And it was like, nah, bro, not today. You know what I'm saying? He was just that, like, he had that aura about him. But he worked, he worked, he worked, man. And, you know, I remember lining up against him in practice, and I didn't, I didn't talk any noise. I didn't. And he didn't either. He just went out, went to work, and did his thing. You know, I remember one day I caught an interception in, in OTAs, and I had returned it. And as I'm running back to get back on defense, uh, Dre sticks his hand out and, like, give me, like, a little a little low five. I went back to the sideline. I told my roommate, I'm like, bro, Dre doubt me up. I think I'm going to speak to him today. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, that's just kind of how it was. So we, we basically kind of built that relationship. You know, I didn't come in just trying to be super cool with Dre just because he was Dre and I wanted to be, you know, I don't know, say I was cool with Dre. I just wanted to come in and earn my respect. I wanted to earn my keep with, with all the guys. And that's just kind of how I went about my business. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to work hard. I'm going I'm to I'm play. I'm going to compete when it's between the whistles, between the lines. I got to compete. You know, I remember going through the draft process and that was one thing that the coach that used to call me all the time, Perry Carter. That's one thing he used to say, you know, when he was just kind of asking me questions about the draft and stuff. He would always say, you know, if we bring you in, you, you ain't going to be scared to compete with Andre, right? Like, you know, he, you ain't going to be scared when you line up in front of Andre. And I was just like, you know, at the and at the time, I'm I'm saying whatever. No, nah, I ain't going to be scared. You know, man, I'm ready to go. You know what I'm saying? Because I wanted to get drafted or whatever. And, you know, that first day of practice, when it actually really happened, and you line up in front of Andre Johnson, you're like, oh, snap. <laughs> All right, here we go. This Andre. I can't be scared. You know, I can't be scared, but oh, snap, this is Andre. <laughs> what was it like to be there from the very start with Andre Johnson? Tell me about a young Andre Johnson. Andre Johnson, man, how can you not be in love with a guy like him? Meaning Andre was a guy, man, that you could just uh, really just appreciate his work ethic. He came out and practiced hard. He was a guy that he didn't speak much, but when he did speak, you know, everyone paid attention to what he had to say. And uh, he was just one of those guys when uh, when I remember when he first got here with the Texans, you knew he was going to be special. And there was one particular episode where him and Aaron Glenn were against each other and on one-on-ones, and it was Andre's rookie season. And he put a move 
move on Aaron, and I said, oh, this guy's legit, man. This guy's going to be somebody special in the league. And, but it was a great, uh, just a great opportunity for me to, you know, be teammates with Andre for two seasons, learned a lot from him. But most importantly, he was just a great guy on and off the field as well. And let me ask you, you played with baby Andre Johnson. Uh, tell us about something about Andre Johnson. Give us a story of the Andre that we didn't get to know because he was such a quiet guy for, for the fans. And we, it feels like we, we don't even know who Andre Johnson is except the guy yeah, in the field. Yeah, yeah, don't, man. And he, he's probably one of my best friends in the world, man, as far as he's a different cat, man. Like, outside of him, owed me a whole lot of money over these Miami Florida State games over the years. <laughs> uh, make sure y'all make sure y'all I'm bring that out if you're writing this out or whatever. But, uh, no, nah, just kidding, man. But, you know, uh, we we always we got bets going, and we don't ever collect on these bets. So, you know, right now, since we won seven years in a row before this year, I'm up a whole lot of fictional Monopoly money down there. <laughs> you know what, man? He's a funny dude, man. Like, Andre, one of the funniest dudes I know. If he don't know you, he don't fool with you. You know, you got to really be in 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 the crew. In the, but he's a loyal individual. He's a loyal dude. The friends that he got been his friends his whole life. To be around him is great. I, I can't like I can't tell y'all have a story because they're not appropriate to tell. <laughs> good ones, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but like, there's nobody like him. If you don't know him, you've missed out on so much of who he is. Because the X-ray that y'all see on TV, the Dre that never had any major sponsors his entire career, which is crazy to me. Like you think of all these. He's great receivers. And Dre should be a Hall of Famer. And I think we'll get in Hall of Fame. I think Hall of Fame will let him get in because the fact he's played with 50 quarterbacks in this time. Yeah, that's got to factor into it. I agree. I, I, I think that factors in. I think that factors in majorly that he oh, yeah. those numbers oh, yeah. on losing teams all these years. You know what I'm saying? On teams that not even right. losing teams, on teams that never had a, a stable quarterback except for a four, three, four year span of Matt Shaw. You see what I'm saying? Let me ask you about Andre Johnson. What comes to mind when I say his name? Andre was just phenomenal. I never played with a physical uh, receiver like him before, you know, whatever he was, 6'4 and 230, 35 pounds. Uh, he was just a, a physical freak. Uh, but the way he was soft-spoken, didn't say a lot, uh, and just went to work every single day. You know, he had his own Friday workouts in the summertime. Uh, he, I, th- I think someone, you know, uh, labeled as like the, the, the hurricane workout or the canes workout or something like that, which, you know, some players showed up for. That was extremely challenging. Uh, you know, Andre was not outworked, but he was one of those rare players that was extremely talented, uh, and we refused to be outworked by anybody. So uh, one of my all-time teammates, the best wide receiver I ever played with uh, in my time in college or the NFL, and, and in my opinion, should be a, a Hall of Fame receiver. Can you tell us what it was like to throw passes to Andre? And, and you got an Andre story for us. Man, he just, oh, he's a special dude. I could go on and on about Andre. I love that guy to death, man. He's hes one of the best. <laughs> I'll go fanboy here. He's one of the best-looking guys in football pads I've ever been around. Like, just, he comes out for warm-ups, and you're like, Okay, we're gonna be all right. We're gonna be all right. Like he's one of those guys you want coming out of the tunnel first. Uh, but my my second start ever uh, at home against the Colts on Sunday Night Football, I throw three touchdowns to him in the first half. He's just, I mean, it was unconscious. Just the dude making some incredible plays. But we are the third touchdown pass was a two minute drive right before half. We're going down. I think I scrambled the ten yard line, and we call you know a clock situation or a, a kill spike and. We have the option if we, as quarterbacks back then, if we wanted to, I could, you know, give my receiver a fade, you know, by tapping the head or something. I'm yelling out, you know, all I hear is see him looking at me and just tapping his head, like, you know, like pretty forcefully. And he doesn't say much uh, at all uh, ever, but he was yelling my name and tapping his head. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to throw you a fade. I just nodded at him. I said, yes, sir. And uh, threw him a fade for his third touchdown of the half. (laughs) It was, uh, 
it was pretty pretty fun. That was that was the unfortunate day that Coach Kubiak, you know, went down on, on the way in, and we wound up not winning that game. But yeah, Andre Andre's my guy. He's uh, he's special. What's the defining moment of an Andre Johnson career? I don't know if anything really specific comes to mind. I think of the Redskins game where he catches the game winning pass towards the end of the game. You might think of a couple of the catches and touchdowns that he made in the playoffs. But is there a moment for you that comes to mind? Yeah, when he beat the hell out of Cortland Finnegan. You know, people think about Andre, and as Antonio Smith was saying, he was quiet. He let his actions speak louder than words, and sometimes he let his fists speak louder than words. I think when everybody saw him pound Cortland Finnegan, I went up to him the next day and I said, I thought you told me you'd never been in a fight. He said, well, you said in the NFL. And it's pretty, it's pretty obvious the way Andre was standing, throwing punches, because most players didn't fight, that he had been in fights and knew how to fight. And I think that helped his reputation even more as a physical player. You know, Andre's 6'3 and 230. He's a great blocker, and he was tough. I don't think things that were negative about his career, like only winning two division championships, winning two playoff games, touchdowns, that's going to have much to do with him being in the Hall of Fame. Well, I don't know if you're having Andre Johnson withdrawals, but, you know, you spent the last two decades calling his games. When he gets into Canton, it's going to be a little bit of a Mark Vandermeer tribute when they show his highlights. That's got to be a day that you're really looking forward to. You've had to think about that a little bit. That's you? that's a, you know I never even thought of that that when they show his highlights going into Canton that I'll be on the call a lot because I've seen a lot of highlights lately with him signing uh, to retire as a Texan and a lot of those calls being played and it's very flattering. It's it's wonderful to be a part of that. I mean that's a great thing about the NFL. They really respect the radio announcer's call. Uh, I think much more than other leagues, other teams, which is understandable because in the NBA and Major League Baseball. The TV play-by-play guys are team guys, and those are home calls. You want the home calls because they're going to get more excited with great things happening to the player. But in the NFL, the home call, the only home call is radio. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Attack!